Hello, welcome back to Out of Our Heads, a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Bortner and the retro revival, Nick Proclapis. Yeah, the uh, the rumors are true. We've returned after not being in your ear holes for an extended period of time. Yeah, but also not being in each other's ear holes. And it now, is true. Now our ears are ear to ear. Yeah, we um we are actually recording uh, inches apart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Today Which is not something we've done in quite a long time. Today is the, the finally the day where I'll be just as loud as, as Joe. It's true. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna feel good to be in the spotlight. Normally, I have to fix the audio levels in post, but this time, uh, you're you're right there with me. That's funny. Is it like a like a like someone who speaks quietly, like like a soft yelling? You know what I mean? No, it's 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 pretty much fine. It's um, I don't think it's that noticeable. seems like that seems like a sort of funny thing to do is like to take someone yelling and like make their voice because you you speak differently mm-hmm. when you yell and like. And like make it quieter than someone who's like, you know, speaking quietly and make that really loud. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I, we should I, do that. It's possible. Nick, so. what have what have uh, what have you been up to in the past two months? Anything interesting? Um, no, I've been uh, actually starting my own series by myself, a solo series based on uh, my branded success here at Out of Our Heads. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know about this. This is kind of I, a, you know, it's a bit a of a shock secret. to me. Yeah, just trying to surprise you. Nothing malicious, but yeah, I've been reviewing different. Um, types of sour patch candies oh. so uh, that's that's okay i don't i don't care about sour patch kids i wasn't asking for your permission but... uh, okay i see how it is <laughs> yeah but you know there's kids and there's watermelon and you know like there's a big debate going on it's like which one's better so um yeah just try to tap into that community and you know give my two cents have you have you had any success uh success with answering that question with uh an audience have you have are they have they responded well, I mean, within that community, yes, we are getting a big response. We is me. Uh, no one else is involved, especially you. But, you know, outside of that, we're having trouble breaking out because, you know, most people, they don't really care what's better, mm. kids or watermelon. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense they wouldn't care. I mean, I, I didn't care uh, before you told me. I, uh, you know, I've been, uh, I haven't done anything the past two months. I've, um, I've been waiting patiently for you to come back. Yeah, so we could record a podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry that I told you I was busy doing things, and I didn't tell you that I was recording a different podcast. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, um, are you more of a kids or a watermelon? I I, I just don't like uh, you know fruit candy. I mean, there's no fruit in them. I don't I don't really. They're I've, just colors. I've never I've never tried a. I don't all, really all know the, much about the sour taste, patch. Kids. The taste is all psychological. This is why you have the sour patch podcast, and I am alone forever. Summer's here. Everything's forgiven. <laughs> Nick, do you have a thing for me? Um, I do. It's a great movie that I saw on your Hulu account when you told me that I had four days left to watch movies on Hulu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it turns out I had a little more, but it was it was still the rush of excitement I got when I I watched three or four rom coms in a row. Um, your favorite genre? It is my favorite genre, and I found this movie which features an actress that I think is great, and she's been on Mad Men as peggy's best friend cool best friend and she comes into the madman office she's like i don't care about anything it's the 60s and i'm a woman and i don't care and she's really cool in that and then she was also in the, in the flight attendant and she was like the best friend in that um and her name is zosha mamet and i think that the director here is her friend sophie brooks is directing here and it's her first movie and i think they're best friends um and it's it, it sort of <laughs> what do you know who they're best friends i, I think they're best friends <laughs> We're going back to Wikipedia. 
What are you gonna where, read? Where did where did you find that they were best friends? I just heard that they were best friends. I heard that from where, from whom? I can't remember, but I think I heard it. Does it does it say in this in this interview you have pulled up? I I didn't read this <laughs> that. Interview. I made this movie with my best friend, Sasha <laughs> Mamet. I think so. Somewhere, if you scroll down, it's, mm-hmm. the question is: Did you make this with your best friend? And word search best best friend. <laughs> look, look. Nope. One of my what best, best one of my best friends, <laughs> Oreo Rudnick. That's not Zosha Mamet. Yeah, well, you know, people have a lot of friends these days. Term search, Zosha. Yeah, was the first actor that I became best friends with. Nope, it says was the first actor we sent the script to. Well, that seems very personal. We yeah. sent the script to her agent. I don't know, man. If if she was your best friend, I think that uh, <laughs> you just send it to her. Maybe the agent is another one of their friends. Uh huh. All right, so you're saying they're not best friends. I'm saying they're not best friends. I think that's a pretty cynical way to look at this hypothetical. Do you think they might? You, I mean, they might be best friends, you, and they might not be best friends. Do you view an office as a family, Nicholas? Not all offices, but <laughs> certain offices. I mean, watching this movie, I definitely felt that the people involved were best friends, because it was you know it's a small indie movie and it's a rom com, and everyone in it seems to seems to have something special about them. It seems like they all know each other behind the scenes and they get lunch together they have great chemistry is what you're saying i guess that is what i'm saying (laughs) and i'm also saying that the side characters have a decent amount of attention um and their chemistry is also well thought out and uh executed i guess and yeah so it it feels it it feels have you said the name of this movie I think you did. <laughs> we, we went through all these lengths to find Sophie Brooks and to say Zosha, but the movie is called The Boy Downstairs, which is a horrible, horrible name for a movie. I'm it sounds like, like a horror movie. It, well, I hear The Boy Downstairs. I think, oh, yeah, there's a, the creepy, there's a, there's a creepy little boy who lives like in the, the basement. Blood, the blood drips off the logo. Yeah, the there, the there's like you see a door to a basement. Yeah. It's slightly ajar. Uh-huh. There's like a boy with piercing red eyes that's at the end in the darkness yeah 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 and like a children's song is playing like very slowly by a chorus who is the boy downstairs in the actual movie <laughs> who is he yeah the actor oh is he is it just like a meet cute is like they're a guy who lives downstairs and they, they meet and they fall in love um well he, yes but it's more complicated than that Joe. okay tell me tell me uh, so okay so the, the title character who probably has a name let's call her lucy um that's not her name lucy <laughs> Lucy has just lived in England for a few years and she comes back to New York and this whole movie takes place in New York and it takes place in a pretty small radius more or less. So that's, that's something that makes it feel cozy, but she moves into her new apartment. Um, but you know, a friend recommends a friend and she's looking at this place and it turns out that the friend of the friend who showed her the place is the girlfriend of her ex-boyfriend. I see. So basically she's accidentally moved into the apartment above well not quite above a few floors above but in the same building as her ex Mm -hmm. and it's like awkward i see because you know they're not like best friends they don't talk so like she runs into him she's like oh my god like you live here and he's like uh i don't want you to live here because that makes me uncomfortable and she's like well i can't do that because this is where i live now you know Mm -hmm. and yeah and then they slowly fall in love is kind of and it also flashes back to their first relationship and sort of why that didn't work out and that's a bit of a more interesting way, you know, to cut up the movie, basically. So you get you get two plot lines like that. And one of them is a very positive kind of positive, clean, like upward trajectory romance like you might see. Um, but it's going to fail. You know, it's going to fail. And then kind of 
that same relationship, but the people have changed and the circumstances have changed. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting um, cut up because you learn more about the characters early on, you know, in their, in their past. And you're like, oh, these are, these are cute people. I love them. I like them. But then you see their flaws that make up the problems that are currently happening. Mm-hmm. Because in the past, that wasn't really the, the issue. was that she was moving away. So it, it does apply there, but like a little less, I would say. Um, and yeah, I, I just think it's genuinely funny. It's cozy. It's a very cozy movie. You feel like you're in this apartment comp- complex and you, you feel like you know... The residence. Zosha, yeah. yeah. You get to know the residence, like the lady who lives with her. And, you know, they all kind of have an interweb of hanging out. And it's just like a genuinely heartwarming romance. I, yeah, it's pretty feel good. My main thing with this movie isn't that it's like phenomenal or like the best thing ever. But if you like rom-coms, it just has such poor reviews that like, which a lot of rom-coms do. But this one especially, I found that like, like it was definitely at least average, like probably above average. But it has like 5.9 on IMDb. And I was like, this, is, this isn't right, man. I'm mm-hmm. going to get those sixes. Yeah. So yeah, make it right, listeners. Yeah, that's a shame. I, uh, it's a damn shame. My favorite movie is Speed Racer. So I know <laughs> I know the misfortune <laughs> of uh, review scores tarnishing a movie for no reason. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I have... Um, so for, for the background on this is that for many years, Nick and I have shared a Hulu account that I pay for <laughs> entirely. <laughs> Um, and I, 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 I offer other things in our friendship. <laughs> it's true. Should it's I so mention true. them? Yep. <laughs> the other day, I drove Joe two or three hours. Yep. I got I got really sunburned on that hike, but uh, I did that, and he. I just while we're mentioning things that we do for each other. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, I appreciate you. You're welcome. Anyway, um, it's not actually a complaint of mine that you uh, had my Hulu for many years. Oh, um, yes. Anyway, uh, so I, I, didn't, would... I didn't get my own account tap, which is right. That feels like you, the you could have done that. You could have done that at any moment. I, I didn't feel comfortable. I was you... like totally fine with you taking an account tap. But you see, you paid for it. So I didn't I feel I felt that once I had an account tab, I should be paying also. Yeah, that seems like the my line. parents had an account tab and they don't pay for it. You get your parents. Yeah, that's true. It's all true. Yeah. Anyway, all this to say, um, I was also anxious about losing Hulu, which might be the number two best streaming service. Hulu's really good. Number one is HBO Max, of course, because they have a ridiculous amount of things that you wouldn't even expect would be on a streaming service. Um, HBO Max will be the best. I'm not yeah. sure that it is. Okay, that's fair. It, it has such a good backlog of stuff. HBO Max has some some glaring uh, absences that don't really make sense with what that what company owns. Um, like, you know, this uh, this week, they, they put up the all the Harry Potter movies. But they and this is like not that I care about Harry Potter. I don't. But <laughs> not the Goblet of Fire. No, they put up all of them, but they're only there until the end of the month, which is huh. a, a shockingly weirdly short time to have a movie series for. Which makes me think that it was like absolutely intentional. Um, but wait, Harry Potter is it is Warner Brothers. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So that just feels like you know a weird practice. Um, well, I'm sure that it'll fizzle out eventually and that they'll get everything. Yeah. That's the thing. I just, I, I don't think, I think it is unethical for streaming services to be gating content that they only I own. I think probably <laughs> someone else is, has rented it out for whatever months. Cause that's how, how it works sometimes. Yeah. Is that they have it for, and, and, and these months weren't sorted out for who was going to have it. So they just like took it. Okay. Anyway, um, all this to say, I was anxious about watching movies on Hulu um and i decided to watch uh one of the ones that had been in my backlog for a while 
Um, it's called Run. Um, Run is a, a thriller that came out on Hulu last summer. Um, it's directed by the guy who made Searching, which I think I've talked about on the podcast before. It's a movie that takes place entirely in various computer screens, mm-hmm. um, which I think is re- a really good movie. Um, and I've come to report this one is also quite good. Um, probably not quite as good, but still, you know, really enjoyable. Um, Run is the story of this teenage girl. Uh, Chloe lives alone with her mom. Chloe's got a lot of disabilities. Uh, she, she's um, in a wheelchair. Uh, she has like asthma attacks. So she's homeschooled um, and she doesn't really get out of the house much. Um, and essentially her mom is like the main person she interacts with on a day-to-day basis. But Chloe soon begins to suspect that not everything with her mom is as it seems. Oh my God. Um, and uh, she's soon thrown into uh, some pretty harrowing experiences um, in that house of theirs. Is um, that all you're going to tell me? That's all I'm going to tell that's you. That's so intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, usually we kind of overshare. Okay, so like the plot of this movie, um, not terribly impressive. Like it's it's good, it's a solid setup, but you know you could probably list off a few movies that have similar premises. What sells you on the movie and what really makes it compelling and and, and emotional and captivating um, is like the direction and the acting. Um, Kira Allen plays like the main character. I think she's like new. She's like a teenager. Um, and she just does like this really incredible job of like selling the emotions and like the sense of danger that she's feeling at all times. Um, a lot of the film is like just her on screen, like sort of working through the problem or situation that she's having currently. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like never not engaging, um, which is like really impressive. Um, she's also, I think like the first actor in a wheelchair to like actually do a movie like this which I think is pretty cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, anyway, uh, I was I was constantly on the edge of my seat. Uh, I watched this movie with with my dad, um, and every five to ten minutes, we'd just look at each other and be be shocked hmm. um, at what was happening. <laughs> In conclusion, I, I, think you should, uh, I think you should see this movie. Um, it's very compelling. Yeah, kind of one of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I admire it a lot. I think I, I, I either really like thrillers or I really like... The thriller is by this director. Okay, wait, um, what are the other thrillers by this? Just guy? searching. He's only made this in searching. Which one's searching? Is that the internet one? Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you also talked about this on the podcast. Yeah, I did. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I think I think by not telling me what happens, I'm interested in it, which is an inter- that's that's a good strategy that mm-hmm. we've never ever used. Well, you have three days. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Run is a, a visceral, captivating time at the movies uh, that I think you will enjoy. Great. Yeah. Shall we move on? Yeah. Let's do it. Nicholas, uh, this week, after a long absence, um, both in podcast time and in real world time, uh, we've returned to the world of Nausicaa for, um, for volumes four through seven. Uh, which is the the whole rest of the series. I'm very happy about this. I have I have one big problem, uh, which is that uh, it's been so long that I didn't remember what happened in the first three volumes. I agree completely. Um, but then I remembered for the next four. So yeah, it, it they, ended up they, okay. They do a good job of jogging your memories. Yeah, but yeah, in this one, Nausicaa is kind of off on her own. She's separated from a lot of the characters that we already have established, um, and the heroes are sort of fighting different aspects of not just a war but also like the apocalypse i guess mm. um and so you kind of get that that feeling of like later in an adventure movie or an adventure series where there's multiple plot threads running around and you get like depth on the lore you get depth on 
the plot that's happening and then you get character stuff um and that's kind of more or less how i would describe what happened in these four right nausicaa gets yeah. a lot of like alone time like you know thinking about i guess not herself but like the more spiritual aspects of yeah she thinks a lot about like you know the nature of living on the planets uh she gets a lot of spiritual visions um, yeah i think that's where we left off and she was in the monastery um where she has visions right yeah yeah what's actually interesting about these four volumes is that uh for a lot of at least like you know four and five i would say nausicaa not really that much in it i think yeah um which is interesting because we both get like you know sort of perspectives on the other characters who are fleshed out to varying degrees i think um uh princess kushana is like one of the main oh, I like her uh, benefactors yeah. there yeah. yeah i like her a lot too yeah. um i think she's really interesting and she gets a lot of the best lines yeah. um, <laughs> do you think that do you think that her and nausicaa might be the same person yeah i i, I think that they are two sides of the, the same coin ah yes um yeah. Anyway, so so speaking of that, actually, I think that we 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 sort of get to see Nausicaa play out as an idea among the people of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of, there there are these group of people that worship her uh, later on, um, and we also just sort of see, uh, like with Kushana, we we get um, mirrors of Nausicaa in different people because there's also a girl back in the Valley of the Wind um, who's kind of like just becoming a mini Nausicaa. Mm. Um, and I think that's interesting. I don't know if I have much to say about it, but it's cool. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, one of the most interesting things from the, I think the first three is that they have this idea of like the reincarnating blue clad one. Yeah. Which is like a funny name, but, um, you know, Nasuka's supposed to be wearing blue a lot, even though it's a black and white comic, but you see it on the covers. Yeah. Um, and so she really functions as like the chosen one character in this, in this universe. Part of that, part of having a character like that in a, in a, you know, in a world is the way that they inspire other people because that's where their um importance and meaning comes from and their power even um and yeah one thing about nausicaa is that she's kind of just perfect yeah um except for you know i think the thing that separates nausicaa from uh you know your 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 garden variety uh perfect character Mm -hmm. um and i think i touched on this in the first episode too um but i think it, it it becomes even more true here is just like nausicaa has lived a really hard life um you know uh something that we get you know sort of some background on is like you know uh, all of her siblings died mm-hmm. um you know and then she enters this war in the comics um and just you know she sees a lot of death um and as like a pretty empathetic person that like or just you know a person who's witnessing it that makes her you know that's extremely difficult for her um, and I think that's sort of where um, we get kind of dimensions to her character. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. I, the way I was going to phrase it actually is like, which is kind of the same, but I was going to say that the world around her is so devastated and hopeless that the fact that she's perfect doesn't really mean a whole lot or mm-hmm. it doesn't, it's not as cheap as it would be in, I don't know, like a regular superhero comic or something like that. Um, you know, because let's say super, like if you had Superman in this book, it would still feel like, well, he's not really helping that. Like, it's it's it, he's not helping that much, you know. Yeah, I think I, uh, Superman's <laughs> empowered to a different level where he probably could solve at least some of the problems. Uh, well, know, but... let's say he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the kryptonite fiasco. Yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, in that way, Nasuka still remains interesting, at least to me. Um, yeah. 
because you don't you don't roll your eyes and go oh, this is so cheap because you're still waiting to see how she solves this problem or what problem even it's sort of like how does she survive in this world and how does this world change because of her like will it change for the better that sort of thing yeah because it's almost impossible to believe when you're getting the world building from this stuff um because you have you have a couple things brewing that i think we touched on last time but you know you have the you have the forest the acid forest that it's not acid but the toxic forest is like eating eating the whole like civilized land and there's also like three or four groups no three groups three groups in conflict here and there's also the the giant monster that they're using as biological warfare so this there's an awful lot of destruction um and you sort of feel that the 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 world is at a very minimal life life bar if that makes sense yeah i mean you were saying to me the other day um that just like you know spending time in nausicaa's world doesn't make you happy (laughs) it really (laughs) it's very depressing yeah um because like you know there there is there are a lot of points in these books uh where you know it just kind of seems like uh things are on the way out (laughs) (laughs) yeah pretty much um and even if there are any prophecies they might not be true yeah yeah there is some hope, though. There's, yeah. It's not totally hopeless. We get this idea introduced um, where that the, the forest, the toxic forest, is actually, I mean, it is toxic, but layers under it become purified, um, and the earth will be reborn. Yeah. Um, which is a cool idea. I liked it as yeah. a, sort of the themes of nature that are in this and environmentalism. Um, that, you know, it also reminds me of just, like, you know, things that I've heard real, like, scientists say. Um, just, like... Really? You know, yeah, humanity might be fucked with climate change, but like, you know, the worlds will live on until like the sun blows up. Right, right. Yeah, and I think Nausicaa is supposed to take place in the real world. There's like layers of fantasy to it, but and and obviously like you know, uh, you know, it feels like it could happen. It feels like the 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 world that comes out in Nausicaa, you know, could very easily come about in the real world, even though there are semi ridiculous things happening sometimes. Yeah. Um. And that's kind of where you end up with the, with the conclusion of this book thematically is sort of like, yeah, humanity like kind of sucks, but like it'll be all right as long as you sort of tune into nature a little bit because that's what Nausicaa does. She's in totally in tune with nature, um, right? And yeah, so I mean, I mean, I think what Nausicaa does also is just like sort of, you know, she she sees something, you know, if not human, something valuable in everything um in like every, every yeah i guess creature. i'm just thinking i think at the end of the book like the conclusion that humanity has reached is not mm-hmm. like oh this is how we'll save humanity or this is you know this is the plan or anything like that it just sort of ends at the end of this smaller conflict that's been sort of destructive and she's just like well yeah we just got to survive yeah which to me is a very like you know let's follow our nature oriented thing if that makes sense mm-hmm. like yeah it might it might be terrible it might not work out but there is hope and all we can really do is try to try to survive right and we also get sort of a little you know text epilogue of like this is what could have happened in the future according to certain legends but other legends say this um and it's sort of said that like you know well there was uh after kushana there was never a monarch again in torumekia um which i think is interesting and sort of sets it maybe on you know maybe everyone died but maybe you know there's a, a more optimistic path there yeah and there's, there's another layer of optimism, too, because like you were saying, we're talking about the vision boy whose name is... Selm. Sel. 
like we were talking about if he's a vision or not because he's he sort of shows nausicaa like a green pasture or something you know some mm -hmm. better world which could could be real could be real on in their planet um could be like a vision of a real thing so there might be like i, I didn't think of this before but you were saying like maybe there are people out there somewhere deep in the forest uh, which i think there's actually there's something else like that in the book where they there's been scouts or something and there's some community that's been living deep in the heart of the forest, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, they, they're they're the worm handlers, um, who are right, sort right. of a separate group. Um, but yeah, so there, you know, regardless of what happens to most people, there is a way that the human race will survive. And I, I definitely do take that out of the ending of this book. Either, yeah, either way. And also, like to to what we were saying earlier about like the 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 plausibility of the scenario here, um, despite like the the science fiction fantasy aspects, I think is like part of what makes it, you know feel real and kind of scary to me at times scary yeah um you know yeah, there there are yeah there are moments of it that feel quite bleak it's just um, it's dread you feel dread it's like yeah. that's what's really nice about it is because it's 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 fictional but the, these problems you know the way that the environment is being treated and the sort of cyclical nature of wars that are going on and you know people even at the end of the earth who feel that they're different from you know, there's Warren groups, right? There's the mm -hmm. potato people and the, the prince person. Like, they, they feel, oh, we're different and they have to fight, even though there's so few people left that fighting is, like, absolutely yeah. ridiculous. Um, and it, it, you, you can take the thing, you can see the extremes in this book, right? And you can, you, when you see that there's how ridiculous warring is in this situation, you see how ridiculous warring is in general. When you see how ridiculous it is to fight nature in this book, you see how ridiculous it is to fight nature in general. Yeah, and I also, it, it does, you know, this is a standard Miyazaki thing, but, um, you know, it's just, it's, I think, very compassionate to every character in a way that most fiction just isn't. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even, I guess, I guess the Dorak, the, the Dorak guys don't come off. Well, so, so there, there, there's, there's the younger king, who's immortal, um, and he kind of just gets <laughs> thrown off a cliff at one point um, after being beheaded. Um, so I think there is, you know, some degree where we are not supposed to hit, take him seriously in an empathetic way, but like his brother, we do get sort of scenes where him and Nausicaa kind of reconnect in, in a pseudo afterlife zone. Yeah. Um, and he runs around like a naked old man, which is very funny to me. what do you think of the art? Uh, I thought the art was great. Um, never confused, which I was a little bit in the first few, uh, which I remembered from my previous read. Another thing I liked was there was much more breathing room for big panels. Yeah. Uh, it just, it felt like it took its time more, which I really appreciated because the story became really interesting to me, especially like everything became more interesting as I got more invested. So I'm glad that, you know, even though you're going further in the story, you have people hooked. You can kind of just do it. You can do it smaller. You can do more action heavy, but there's a lot of like slowing down that I enjoy. Like when she's, um, in the monastery and when she gets out of it especially there's like yeah. the, the calm before the storm kind of thing and then the the god giant or whatever the god warrior the god warrior is also big so there's a lot of big stuff with that um and so, yeah I, I like the way he um you know the god warrior is not always big or like the action at the end is also in small panels if i, yeah. if I remember so I, I like the way that he's using big panels for the emotional thing but not always the visually big things because yeah. everything here is big and i remember this is also when the like the big bugs with, the, with lots of eyes for the, the omu and the omu yeah like those things are big like i don't know like i feel like you know regular comic or something like when 
when the Omer were around, it would be like a big thing and you, you would have visually big panels to represent that. Right. You'd have, you know, the Omu come in double page. Splash. Double page. Oh, big oh, omu like, whoa, stampede. all the Omus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Nausicaa doesn't really do that. It's sort of like, it just takes as much space in a panel as it needs to breathe. Uh, and then aside from that, it's like maybe a reveal is big, um, but not always. Yeah. Not always. I, uh, I think I agree with you a hundred percent. One of my kind of tentative complaints about the, the first three volumes is that sometimes we'd get motions that were slightly confusing just sort of based on how they were drawn or, or you know, there, there'd be moments that perhaps like the, the right amount of emotional space wasn't granted to them. Um, I think that is really not a thing at all in these. I think they're, you know, so elegant um, in kind of how they communicate information. Um, and there are just a lot of visuals that I, I clearly remember. I think in, in volume six, uh, there are a couple moments um, with some framing I really like where, where Nausicaa is, is kind of uh, standing in front of a big thing uh, <laughs> or some, some big action has happened. And then we take an actually like large panel to have like a breather moment of like reorienting ourselves in the scene and that's kind of the strength of this artwork is just the line work and the detail mm -hmm. um orientation that's still here and yeah i also took note of um these beautiful birds yeah the uh, creatures are amazing yeah. the creatures are all amazing the set pieces are all amazing they feel they all feel a little alien which is wonderful mm -hmm. um and even some of the clothing and stuff like that yeah yeah one thing that i think we were talking about a little before is like the faces are all the same. Yeah, uh, I think that it's something we did talk about in the first episode, but like, you know, Miyazaki, uh, like a lot of artists, this is not exclusive to him. Like pretty much every artist ever uses a certain set of face archetypes. Um, you know, eventually, you know, you, you get old enough and you have to embrace that a lot of your characters will have the same face. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> there's this weird moment um, where um, Mido, who's one of the characters, is meeting up with, with Yupa. Um, and those are characters that have very similar faces. Um, but Mito has an eye patch. Um, and, right, right. And, and Yupa's they, traveling. They both have big mustaches, too, yeah, which is yeah, like yeah, pretty yeah. silly. Um, Yupa's traveling with this girl, Kecha, and, and she's hostile to Mito. Um, and Yupa's like, ha ha ha, <laughs> who wouldn't be afraid of a face like yours? Um, but they have nearly identical faces. Well, he's talking about the eye patch. And I was like, is this a joke? Is she prejudiced against people with eye patches? <laughs> it's the eye patch thing. It's, that's what it is. But yeah, that's a good point. It's especially a good point where it's like, that's the point of the scene. And they look. It's funny because, you know, some, some of the way you distinguish characters is face and facial hair and stuff like that. And those yeah. two have the same exact facial hair. Yeah, there's like sort of the, the, the classical thing of like, you know, why do anime characters have interestingly colored hair? Well, it's often because the artist draws them with similar faces. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's how you distinguish them, which is not like, you know, that's not a thing that I think Miyazaki has trouble with. I think that his characters are mostly very distinct. It's just there, there are moments <laughs> where also like Asbel and Selm, who are like the, the two sort of young male characters around Nausicaa's age mm -hmm. look very similar. I really do. Um, <laughs> and, and the princess looks the same as uh, Nausicaa. Yeah. I think um, I said that last time. They look like the same. They're the same person. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, they're, I, I think, I didn't have as much trouble with, with Kushana looking like Nausicaa. Well, she's always wearing um, her big armor. And whatever, right. So it's not really an issue. It's just funny. Yeah. Speaking of, have we talked about Kushana already? Uh, I love her. I think she's so great. Yeah, she's uh, I think she's like so, so interesting. Um, and like, you know, 
uh, gets all the best lines. <laughs> There's like this great one where uh, the Dorok Emperor wants her to marry him basically so that he can acquire more power and so that she can, you know, end the war. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> so they reach this deal. Um, and uh, she's like, can I see your face before we get married? Um, and he says, mm, not until nuptials. Um, and she says, do you think you can step naked into a viper's nest? <laughs> Which I just thought was like so good. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. I don't know. She's, uh, I like her because she's, she, from very early on, we get her as vulnerable that her mother and, um, you know, at, at odds with her brothers. And I think that makes her interesting, even though she's sort of just a, she's just tough. Yeah. She's a tough lady. But I think she's great. And she's also like, you know, the the standard Miyazaki archetype of like the bad guy from the first half who goes good in the second yeah, half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, which, you know, is always knew, good. Yeah, I knew that was going to happen the moment I saw her. Yeah. <laughs> That's not like, she could have said nothing the whole time. And I would have been like, yep, I know where this is going. I like um, her second in command, Kurotawa. I think he spends one of these volumes, probably volume five, um, where he's severely injured. And he, 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 he spends a lot of it in just like a full body cast, like a hundred pages. Um, and I just think he looks so comfy. <laughs> okay. That's what I have to say about him. Nice. Yeah, this is a, this is a, good, a good amount of like funny side characters. Not funny, but like side characters. Yeah, it, I, it I makes like the they... scope feel expanded. It makes, yeah, yeah. Like... I like when they cut back to her, her valley. Yeah, I, think that's the best. I agree. Not the best, but like it makes me go, oh yeah. Um that's pretty cool i liked my favorite creatures were those the dragons they called them dragons but they looked like like a flat like very flat oh, boxy the, the 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 they were like flying worms. insect creatures flying worms but if you squish the worm into a flat surface right and they had little like i forget the the names of those I can't creatures remember, those guys were probably um, my favorite speaking of flight uh i was saying to this to you like a few weeks ago um i think it's so obvious here uh, that Miyazaki wants to draw planes for the rest of his life. Like all the all the aerial combat scenes, I think are so cool. The planes are um, so funny. They look like um, House Moving Castle, like steampunk, but like not like mm -hmm. just like especially bulgy. like the the airships. Yeah, the airships. Yeah, like bulgy. Like they look like almost organic. Also, like yeah, they have these like weird like extremities, and they're kind of like fat and like wow, wow. They look like they can't quite fly. Like it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Um. I don't know. I think I think all of the the you know the motion is is good on the ground, but whenever we we get in the air, like it just feels so much more dynamic and like so I I, I feel just incredibly involved and like he always like um, choreographs those scenes in just really interesting ways. Mm -hmm. um, and Nausicaa's glider is always the best. And yeah, we probably said that also last time, but I don't know how to pronounce its name. Mouth. It's just it's like really great. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's kind of like one line well, not one line but it's like a few lines whereas like a lot of this stuff is like etching every detail of like a, mm -hmm. a clothing piece or the omu like and it's it's kind of the best when nausicaa is like totally white like yeah like glider like two lines just like swoops in and out it's like very elegant it's, it's really it yeah out. elegant was also the word i was gonna it use stands out so nice because you can tell it's smooth because if it was detailed he would have drawn a million lines mm -hmm. and it's supposed to be iconic in the story which yeah. i think is really mm -hmm. cool um Nausicaa's great. Nausicaa is great. Maybe they should make more movies. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not, um, though. I, I feel like... Or I think they should color these. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. I think I that think, would um, make it... I don't know if they have copies without, like, the, the shading. 
Um, no, you need the shade. You can keep the shade. Okay. You just, it just means you have less coloring to do. Fair. You know? <laughs> I, no, yeah. I think it could work. I think, you know, like some really nice watercolor. We talked about this <laughs> yeah. in the in the original episode. Um, I feel strong. I feel stronger about this now. Yeah, I think that. I I mean, look, Nausicaa is excellently <laughs> drawn. Um, I also think that with the right colorist, it could be it could look even more amazing it could look even more amazing but also i think reach more people to be honest with you oh you think yeah i do i think that if you put this in color and you put them all in one big fat book it would sell like crazier than it did before and more people <laughs> which would is already to... pretty crazy yeah i think that it's sold in the tens of millions okay but maybe like, mostly in japan yeah um, i don't go around and say Nausicaa and people know what I'm talking about beyond the movie. That's fair. They know the movie, which is yeah, in color. That's true. To be clear. I, I, hmm. So like we could get into the business logistics of this, which is that the printing costs become exponentially more when it's cut in color. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that's an interesting point. Like, you know, overseas like or Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. dead. Maybe it's not worth it now. You know, I don't know. I mean, if I, I'm the publisher, I don't know. You know, Bone did much better in color. Yeah. Um, but also, like, that was, For it had a new publisher as well. Oh. So, like, you know, Scholastic got a different audience in there, the right audience. Um, <laughs> I think it should be in color. Yeah. I, I, I think it I think it would... Um, I think it's, I mean, it would just be better. It would be cool. Um, I think it would be a cool experiment to do. Um, you know, who publishes this? Viz? Uh, Viz? I, don't get in contact with us. I don't know if we could do it justice. But, like, you know, get in contact with, like, a really cool watercolor artist. Mm. Um, see if they'd be willing to do all a thousand plus pages of Nausicaa. They would. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're a watercolor artist, you probably really like doing watercolors. <laughs> right? That sounds hard to you. But for them, that's like work for five years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know if it would be worth it, but it would be worth it to me. Yeah. I think I would like I don't know. It. If... if... You would buy it again. I'd buy it again. Exactly. I, I would. Uh, I think that would be astonishing to see. Um, it would also just like make the world like explode. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. right now the world lives in the pages. I guess, I guess the idea that I'm sort of struggling with this, is, with this, this idea is like, I think that Nausicaa as is, is like, you know, still really impactful. And like, I don't know. I don't think it needs colors. Um, I think it would be cool to see. This is our stinky American perspective. <laughs> yeah, I'll make it move. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if this was movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nausicaa is a great comic. You should all read it. Um, it is uh, honestly like you know, I don't know if it's a masterpiece. It's very good. Uh, I think it's nearly a masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> is that an okay thing to say? I think that's. A perfectly acceptable thing i think that's a correct thing to say i guess i'm wondering what's making it not a masterpiece that i'm being whiny about yeah maybe if it was in color maybe if it was in color i think we need to move on before we upset some people miyazaki i think we've already done it you think miyazaki's mad <laughs> i think he's he's all right have you heard um sometimes like reporters will um ambush him on the streets be like Miyazaki. What, what, what do you what do you think of this and this? Um, and I'll be like, I'm taking out my trash. <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen that. <laughs> Funniest thing ever. <laughs> we should we should watch that. Anyway, uh, Nick, do you want to move on? Uh, 
Okay, Nick, uh, on this, uh, as we do every week, um, we're following up a, a beloved show um, with a less beloved and less widespread sequel young adult novel. Um, we're talking about My So-Called Life Goes On. Um, as you may recall, many months ago, we, we both talked about the TV show My So-Called Life. My So-Called Life um, has a sequel novel that was published five years later. Um, it's very tiny, <laughs> um, but it was printed like, you know, maybe a thousand times. Uh, and so it basically doesn't exist. Um, and you need to pay a lot of money in order to acquire it. Uh, Nick and I and our contacts who will remain unnamed at this time, as well as numerous anonymous donors um, from the podcast, <laughs> from, from the podcast. <laughs> uh, have acquired um, this YA novel. Rare. This very rare YA novel. Mm -hmm. And we've all read it. <laughs> Every single one of our anonymous donors, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's pretty good. Um, it's yeah. like you know about what you'd expect uh, for a YA sequel novel to a, a, a more than you would expect. More than would you would say. expect. It goes places um, that I feel are not just a tie-in novel. Yeah, it doesn't. It makes some big choices for the here. Characters. Here's part of the nature of this: is why is my so-called life was a show about teenagers. By the time this book came out, all of the actors had aged out of their roles. Um, so this is not even, you know, a book that is gesturing at the possibility that my so-called life could continue in other media because it could not. Mm -hmm. um, and so it kind of gets some freedom to move them in interesting directions that it could not if this were a book that came out between hypothetical seasons of my so-called life. Right. Um, which I think is interesting. I think... You know, there are ways in which it um, kind of moves at a, a, a rapid fire pace um, and there are, there are developments present uh, that, that I'm not fully sold on. Oh, really? Um, I yeah, was, I know. was sold on everything. Really? I thought everything was great. Um, I think there, there are moments of the book that are fairly audacious. <laughs> but that's um, what makes it good. Because if it didn't do that, then we'd be like, mm -hmm. now we have something to talk about, something spice. Yeah, here's spice. here's a here's a structural complaint. Every episode of My So-Called Life followed both um, the the teenagers, Angela and her friends, um, and a B plot um, with Angela's parents, Patty and Graham. Um, and I I thought that you know the the parent plot was not always as interesting. Sometimes it was really good, um, but it was kind of the vegetables that went down with your My So-Called Life. Uh, meal um and this this has no parent plot it it Ninja, has there's there's something that's going on in the background with the parents but we don't fully see it yeah um and i think that you know it's interesting i don't know if that's even a complaint i'm it's, not at it's interesting to yeah um it's a little tiny book yeah we it just had to make some choices and i'm glad it did yeah, yeah. i i i think you know, uh, an important thing is that the the novelist, the author, Catherine Clark, gets the character voices right. Mm. Um, I think they, they all sound like the characters in my head, um, which I think is good. I think there are, you know, moments we can debate about. Um, if you've read the book, with which you most certainly have not. <laughs> <laughs> we are three of the only people. <laughs> yeah. We are, we are legions of the only people. Let's gatekeep this. Literally gatekeep it. Yeah. Um. I'm just saying, if you, you know, if there are 
uh, illicit places of the internet, perhaps like a subreddit or something um, for my so-called life, and you see a link to a PDF of That's this us. novel. It's not us, but what? it might be friends of ours. Our contact? <laughs> yes, our, our contact. Um, I don't think it's worth the amount of money that we paid for it collectively. I, I agree, except that we're doing it to help everyone else. That's true. I also say that Angela's plot, I think, is superb. I think that's fair. I think, I think it's really I think great. That, um, it's really sophisticated. I don't know if I'd say it's sophisticated. I, I think I it works for the character. You don't think it's sophisticated? Maybe not the execution. I think that the lesson is surprisingly applicable and subtle. Hmm. Okay. I, th- I think sort of what's interesting about this book and kind of my, my, my real main complaint um, is that sometimes it sort of just feels like a cascade of ideas that they had for things that could probably happen in the show. Um, but they, 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 you know, they happen in an interrelated way, but they don't feel like they're getting at the same ideas. Um, and so in a great episode of My So-Called Life, you have That's true. intertwined narratives that get at, at like a, a powerful theme and emotional realization for the characters. Um, and in this book, you have a bunch of different lessons and ideas and yeah. interplays going on. Okay, I have to agree um, with that, yeah. But where... I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, There's lots of drama. I, I think you came at this from sort of a, a fanish perspective. But that's um, what it I, is. Yeah. Anyways, no, that's fair. Yeah, when you're gonna get it, you're gonna get it for free, and then it's gonna be worth it. Mm-hmm. Word. Okay, great. Um, Nick, do you have a do you have a wise quote for us to close up the show? Yes, yes, I do. Interesting. We're recording this in person. I might remind you, and Nick has Nick has nothing in front of him. Joe, mem- <laughs> wise quotes can be memorized. All right, here what you got. One hazelnut is as good as a thousand. Who is that from? That's unknown. Huh. Uh, our contact <laughs> oh him one of our well not really oh he came up with that a different no a different wise contact okay an ether of wise contacts some say it was confucius yeah we're not sure a mysterious benefactor yeah a could mysterious... be confucius could be an english folk folk saying a mysterious wisdom benefactor wisdom benefactor yeah Thank you for listening to Out of Our Heads, a comics and pop culture podcast from the minds of Joe Warner and Nick Protopapis. You can contact us at outofourheadspod at gmail.com where you can send us letters. Tell us about uh, books you want covered on the show. Uh, my handle online is at joe b underscore draws. You can buy our comic, Jake Escape from Wizard Island. Oh my God, Link in the description. Um, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that would potentially help us out. Stay safe. See you next time. Yeah.